Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we, um, we praise you today. We uh, thank you for this a new day, full of opportunities, full of hope. God, I pray that you just use us, that we'd make a difference with the time you give us on this planet. God, we give you the praise, we give you the glory this day and every day. Open our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a little uh, verse in the Bible. It's uh, kind of obscure. It's not talked about a whole lot. But the Apostle Paul, he's challenging an inexperienced leader by the name of Timothy. And every time I read it, I kind of laugh because I can remember early mentors of mine uh, giving me uh, similar uh, advice. But He's trying to help him face the leadership challenges that he's going to face. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he writes, But you, keep your head in all situations. Now, that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? I mean, it sounds practical to me. And I want us to memorize that. In fact, let's, let's read this in unison. But you, keep your head in all situations. There's a term used in the military, they talk about code red. It means that a situation exists or demands a a full awareness, uh, a preparedness to be ready at all times. And I think Paul is trying to get at that, that he's saying, keep your head in all situations, that there there are going to be times that you're going to be challenged, you're going to be pressed. There are going to be times in your life when things are code red, that you have got to be aware of the conditions that exist, that you have to be prepared for all the situations that you're going to face, and that you always have to keep your head in those situations. I mean, there's an alternative to keeping your head, isn't there? And that's losing your head. I mean, it's a strange expression if you you really think about it, but you can allow... Your, your impulses to take over in, instead of uh, your mind. You can allow your, your anger to, to flow instead of keeping it in check. You can allow your, your appetite or your lust or your desires to take control. Again, instead of keeping your head, you can let anxiety wreck your entire life. Allow insecurities to, to rob you instead of keeping your head. See, there's, there's choice there. You know, last week we, we talked uh, about Jesus was climbing a mount, that he was climbing the Mount of Olives, uh, and that the incline that he faced, it was only 200 feet. So it wasn't much of a physical challenge, but emotionally and spiritually, this was Mount Everest that he was climbing. Because Jesus knew what awaited him at the top of that mount. He knew what God's redemptive plan was going to require of him. And Jesus was fully aware he only had a few hours left in this world. And so as Jesus is climbing, he's facing this mountain, but he's also facing a lot of aggravation, a lot of disappointment, injustice. And I think, as I read the scriptures, that it would have been really easy for Jesus to lose his head. But Jesus doesn't. He keeps his head. He keeps his mind. And and the question I ask as I'm reading through it is, how is that possible? 
How is it possible when you read all that happened to, to Jesus in those last hours? I mean, we, we learned a few things last week about climbing mountains or climbing hills in our life that uh, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you, go online, listen to, listen to the message. This is kind of part two today. But last week we uh, left off, Jesus was in Gethsemane. He was in the garden. And Jesus had just confided in his three very closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He let them know what was going on. He let them take a peek at the, the anguish that he was going through and ask him to kind of shoulder it up with him. In fact, he asked them, he says, watch and pray with me. And scripture three times records that Jesus come back from praying and he walked over and his friends are sleeping. Quite the friends, isn't it? You know, hey guys, you sleeping again? Come on. But this is where we, we kind of left off immediately following this, where, where Jesus finds his friends sleeping. We got a crowd that, that approaches Jesus. It's a mob, basically. And Judas steps out of the, the crowd to kiss Jesus. And that's to be a sign to the troops that this is the guy you want to arrest. And, and so I think... This is a code red situation. Jesus has just been disappointed by his three closest friends. In Jesus' greatest time of need, they don't come through. They're tired. They're worn out. I think they had grieved themselves to just where there wasn't much left, and so they, they fell asleep. Now, another guy that Jesus had handpicked to be a disciple... Jesus had poured three years of his life into this guy. Judas, a friend, again, sells him out. I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment. What do you do in that moment? Because Jesus doesn't take a swing at Judas he doesn't uh, tear into him in front of everyone. He doesn't kick him to the curb. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, Scripture says, Jesus asks him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Very simple question. See, no reprisal, no revenge, no outburst in, the, in that moment that a friend, think about it, a friend sells him out. People are rushing toward him. They're going to arrest him. But Jesus keeps his head. There's a calmness about him. But Peter? <laughs> Peter freaks out. Peter, he loses his head. He, he grabs someone's sword. He's probably never had a sword in his hand before. And he grabs it and he just starts swinging at the soldiers that are trying to arrest Jesus. And I, I think about, it. for three years, Jesus had taught his disciples about the, the virtue of nonviolence. I mean, you think about it, there were times he's like, guys, when you're in a situation, someone strikes you, you turn the other cheek. Never, ever, guys, whatever you do, do not return evil for evil. God wouldn't stand for it. You know, when your enemies mistreat you, 
guys, I want you to love them. That had been Jesus' drumbeat. Three years, nonviolence, over and over and over. Jesus tried to drill that in. Peter forgets all that. Peter loses his head. He starts wielding a sword. He's swinging it. He slices off the ear of one of the soldiers or one of the servants that were approaching him. Jesus says, no more of this. You know, no more violence, no more swords. What are you doing, Peter? No more fighting. It all stops now. And he touches the man's ear and heals him. Friends, that's grace, isn't it? That's grace under pressure. That's a guy that's composed and is keeping his head in all situations. Now, this all happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets dragged from there to Jerusalem. He's going to get dragged from one court to another court because basically the religious leaders that had taken him from the garden, they're trying to find a court, any court. They don't care what court, but any court that will convict Jesus. One of the courts, the leader just kind of mocks him about what kind of power he has over him. Another, another court... They, the official has him dressed in a monarch's robe. He's making fun of him. People are spitting at Jesus. They're trying to humiliate him. Finally, they find the court that will convict him. It was a kangaroo court. It was all set up. And this is when things get really bad. I mean, the beatings, the floggings. They just shred the skin on Jesus' back. I mean, it's just ripping off. And, you know, the passion that they talked about we're going to show Friday, it's, it shows the, what Jesus went through physically. You know, the crown of thorns that, that was shoved onto Jesus' head. And what's Jesus do? He does not let his impulses run away. He does not lose his head he exercises this amazing self-control. And I think onlookers were watching. And that's why they said, who, who is this man? Who is he? He doesn't act like other people. You know, and my question to you is, at what point in life do you see red? You know, at what point do you lose your head? At what point do you strike with the, the venom? that's inside you. I mean, what's it take for you? Where's your threshold? We all have it. They nail Jesus to, to a cross. They strip him right before they put him on that cross. They take the only material possession that Jesus has, his robe. And now it's all stained with blood, but they, they rip it off of him. They cast lots, you know, they're, they're gambling to see who gets the robe. Soldiers nail him to, to a cross, they nail his hands and his feet. And you get the sense, if you read the text, that they enjoyed it. I mean, they make a sign and put over his head, and it, it's to be a mockery. It says, you know, here's Jesus, king of the Jews. Ha! Huh. They're laughing about it. They're mocking him. They're taunting him. And Jesus, in the midst of all of this, has amazing control and grace. Scripture says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. 
forgive them. Friends, I would have assumed just the opposite of that. I would have assumed that they know exactly what they're doing. They like what they're doing. I'll be honest, if I had been Jesus, I'd probably called down a legion of angels and just had them slaughtered on the spot. But not Jesus. I mean, he is entirely in control. Whole different level. He's dying. He's got a thief on each side of him. One of them's hurling insults at him. And the other one's begging for mercy. I find it interesting, in these last moments of Jesus' life, even then, somebody, somebody wanted something from him. And Jesus keeps his head, and he extends grace to that one. He's hanging there, looks down, sees his mom. I think Jesus got concerned in that moment. He got concerned that his mom wouldn't get the kind of care that he wanted her to have in the future. And so he he says to John, he says, John, I want you to take care of my mom. I mean, even as he's dying, it's others first. Amazing, amazing presence of mind. Every time, as many times as I've read the, the Passion, it just blows my mind. And I think, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you live with that kind of control? Now, I want to give you a hint. It is not merely by exerting some, some little bit of extra willpower. All right? In those high-stress moments, willpower, it may help you initially, but it will run out eventually. It will run out before the circumstances in your life settle down. I mean, when you're climbing mountains. Again, willpower's fine. It's a good thing. But there's a lot more to keep in your head than willpower or self-control, as we might talk about it. In fact, I think if you track back in Jesus' life, there, there's a, a verse where he, he was sharing with his disciples. It was something Jesus taught very early in his ministry. I, I think it zeroes in on a thing called spiritual development in our lives. It's something I believe every Christian ought to download it, and ought to grasp it, because it'll, it'll pay in high dividends. Jesus said this. He said, good people bring what? Good things out of good stored up in their heart. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and the evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That verse, we ought to grasp and get our mind around. Because I believe it's one of the most valuable things that we can have at our disposal when we're climbing mountains. You know, last week, uh, we had a lot of people that uh, indicated that they were facing mountains or hills in their life, and we prayed for them. Some of you may have prayed for individuals you don't even know. But it was interesting because after the service, I'm talking to some of those folks, and I got some emails through, through the week, and people basically just said how meaningful it was to have this church pray for them, that it reminded them that they were not alone, that, that God's strength and power was available, that brothers and sisters were joining, joining hands, so to speak, with them. 
But a lot of people climbing hills, you know, financial hills and medical hills and relational hills, vocational, all kinds of adversities. I heard about most of them. You know, sometimes the, the hills that we face, just the hill itself, it's daunting, isn't it? It's exhausting. It's faith stretching, some of the hills that you're on right now. You think about Jesus. He's climbing this hill, which would have been tough. I mean, because he knew what was at the top. But then he's got all these adversities, these aggravations, these added uh, disappointments. Can you imagine? He's got all these complications. It's code red. It's code red. In in those moments, I think we're tempted to to lose our head. We're tempted to follow our natural impulses. You know, that's it. I've had it. Not putting up with it anymore. And so we just let anger take over, we let frustration take over, and we start lashing out at our friends, our family, people around us, at the situation, we just lose our head. And I want to say, if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christ follower, if you have a relationship with God that Jesus Christ purchased for you, by the way, while you're climbing that hill, as you're facing those added complications, you need to know you've got a fuel source to draw from. You know, that uh, basically uh, like a faith tank, I want to call it, that you're kind of tethered to, that spiritually you draw fuel from from that tank. And as, as you're climbing the hills, it gets steeper and steeper as you face more aggravations and disappointments and complications. What happens is, you, you start burning more of that fuel, that spiritual fuel. You start drawn from it. It's uh, like an airplane. You think about when an airplane's taking off and it's climbing to a higher altitude. It consumes a lot more fuel, doesn't it, as it's making that ascent. But then when it's at cruise level, it doesn't burn near as much fuel at that level. I want to say the same thing's true in our lives, that when you're climbing a mountain, some of you are climbing a mountain, some of them, it's a hill, but as we are facing these complications in our life, what happens is your, your burn rate of fuel, of spiritual fuel, kind of increases, and that, that fuel level tends to decrease as you're climbing. Does that make sense? And so what happens If you're not filling that tank all the time, your spiritual reserves get really, 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 really low. And this is when bad things happen. This is when you start to believe that the hill's not worth climbing. This is when you feel like giving up. This is when you lose your head. You let anxiety take over or fear, or frustration, or anger, and we all deal with it different. I remember uh, years ago, I was uh, kind of in a season where I was facing a lot of challenges, and I was exhausted. I was tired. A lot of, a lot of things were, were just frustrating me. And my reserve in that spiritual tank is pretty low, pretty low. And I remember just simple things, you know, simple tasks 
just got the best of me, you know, at least here. And this isn't a, a, a major, major hill, but I want to see if you can identify with this because I just kind of hit, hit that, that point where it's like, okay, what else can I deal with? And I remember I thought, I'll go do a simple thing. And so I had bought a couple little tyke basketball hoops, and I'd bought them for the church and church I was serving at the time. And uh, so I got them out. I thought, this will be good. I can do a little physical labor. Started trying to put them together. Almost all the parts were gone out of the boxes. And so I thought, oh, good night. What am I going to do now? So I packed everything up. I headed back to the store with these. And I got there. Lines were crawling. I mean, they were everywhere. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting and waiting. Seven, eight minutes, whole time, just thinking, okay, I need, need to get back to work. Told the guy, I'm like, I want to exchange these. Uh, it's missing a lot of parts. And he's like, well, go back and get what you need. So I head back to the back. There are none on the shelf. So I go on a, what I call a clerk search. Have you ever been on one of those? Four or five minutes. I'm walking all over the place trying to find somebody to, to help me. Finally find a, a young man. And... Um, he says, I'll go to the back and see if we've got any. So he takes off, heads to the back. He's gone and gone and gone. You get the idea? Another clerk goes by. He goes, can I help you? I said, well, uh, I don't know. I've, there was a young man helping me. He went to the back. He's been gone probably 10 minutes. Uh, I don't know. And so I told him situation. He goes, well, what's he look like? So I start describing. He goes, I think he's on break. <laughs> a couple of minutes later, he comes back. He goes, yep, he was on break. I was right. He said he forgot to come back and tell you that they were out. Yeah, huh? <laughs> I did say my reserves were low, right? So I head up front. And in my mind, code red. Inside, I, I, can, I can feel the, the frustration is building. You know, I, there are points I was thinking, I'll go find that clerk on break and give him a Bible study he will never forget. <laughs> I have done that a few times. Friends, little little teaching point here. When life's code red... You have to be aware of when you're getting angry, when you've entered that code red zone. Yeah, so I return up front. I head to the front of the line. I wait till the clerk is done waiting on the person that he's waiting on. And I go, I don't see the guy that was waiting on me, but I'm the guy with the hoops. He goes, you have to go to the end of the line. I said, I've already waited in line. He goes, the guy that waited on you, he's on break. And I'm thinking, okay, does everybody take breaks? I need a break at this point. And I, so I'm, wait, I'm waiting and waiting. 
I head to the back. I'm, I'm not a good waiter, by the way. My mind's racing. I'm thinking, why am I being singled out? You know, part of me, I'm on a mission from God. Can't you see this? You know, you know, momentum, momentum is just, it's getting me. And finally, I get back up to the front. I give him my credit card. I explain that they're out of stock, that I want to return them. And so the clerk, he scans the hoops, and I'm filling out paperwork. And then he starts counting play money to me. You know, in-house cash. And I said, I want it credited back to my account. I don't want that stuff. Fifteen minutes. He's trying to figure out how to credit it back for me. He finally goes, I can't, I can't do it. He goes, I need a senior clerk. He'll be here in a few minutes. He's on break. <laughs> now, at this point, friends, I, I've just, I've had it. And... So the senior clerk shows up, he's pressing buttons, reading manuals, pounding buttons. I mean, it, it was just, it was like something out of a circus. And he says, I can't do it, would you like cash? And I'm thinking, I'll take chickens at this point, whatever, you know, <laughs> give me whatever. So he hands me $120, he counts it out, 120 bucks. I said, they weren't $120. I got them on sale for $45 a piece, 90 bucks. He goes, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. He said, you said said 90? I've got to get an assistant manager because I'm not sure how to do it. (laughs) And so I'm thinking in my mind, this is easy. This this is uh, four 20s and a 10. You know, 150, two 20s, you know. 20s, I'll take rolls of quarters. I don't care. Just I, I would like it. I'm getting amped at this point. Assistant manager, he shows up. I won't even go into it. It got worse, and he couldn't accomplish it. He pages the manager. Now, friends, I'm waiting again. And there's this Elmo. I guess it was broke. Someone had returned it. It was sitting on the counter. The Tickle Me Elmo. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a, oh, oh, that, that laughter, the laughter of that thing. Because it'd just go off every once in a while, and it would laugh. It was mocking me. I wanted to rip Elmo's head off, cover the, cover the kid's ears, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm like Peter. I'm going to flail with the sword, you know. I'm thinking, what, what is wrong with me? I want to hurt Elmo. <laughs> and friends, in that moment, I felt empty. And when I'm empty, I think bad things. I want to say bad things. And I want to do bad things. When, I, when I'm seeing red, not good. Now, there are several thoughts that hit me as I, I could see the manager heading my way. And it was, I could kind of sense the Holy Spirit just saying, Damon, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Be God-honoring. And as he walked up and I made eye contact, there's one thing that's very clear. I've talked about it a lot around here, that you will never look in the eyes of another person that doesn't matter to God. And I kept my cool. At least that day I did. Manager came over, filled him in, really filled him in on everything. 
He goes over to the adding machine, punches around. He goes, 120 bucks. The kid that had waited on me at the beginning, he goes, I told you so. I thought it was $120. And I, I tried to explain again. I finally gave up. And uh, I left the store an hour later than I planned with 120 bucks, 30 more than I had planned. And I was exhausted. And when I finally got out to my car, have you ever had one of those moments and you sit down? Some of you did it this morning when you came in here. (sighs) Friends, I realized, and I have had that experience several times in my life, there was nothing left. Tanks were that low. And my question to you is, how full is your faith tank today? How do you keep that tank full? You know, as I look at the the life of Jesus as he's climbing the hill, I mean, what, what is it that allowed him to get to the top of that? Because it was more than willpower. I mean, what was it? What was it? Well, I think it comes out of a, there's a little phrase, when you read through the Gospels, it shows up time and time again, it says, and then Jesus withdrew and went to a quiet place. And you find it various ways, it says he withdrew from the crowd, he found a quiet place uh, where it was just him and God. And in spiritual development language, it's called solitude. Solitude, it's, it's merely carving out time and space in your day where you can speak to God and God can speak to you. And I am convinced that we do not practice solitude very often. And I think part of it is when we get alone, if something doesn't happen right away, we don't hear something, sense something, that we really get impatient. And so we're not really confident that God will speak to us. So what we do right away is we just move back into a very busy place. Jesus had solitude as part of the rhythm of his life. He carved out time regularly to speak with God, to talk to God, to allow God to speak into his life. There are other times you find Jesus filling the tanks because he's studying. He's studying. He's teaching scripture. He's allowing God to speak through scripture, to provide guidance in his life, to speak to his heart. You know, sometimes you find Jesus filling the tanks by drawing on the power of community. He got together, just hung out with the disciples sometimes. You find him going to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, sitting down, having a meal. Friends, throughout Jesus' life, you've got these things that filled his tanks. And I would argue that because he kept the tanks full, when he's climbing that mountain, he can draw from that spiritual reserve. That's what kept him in, in the game. That's what kept him from losing his head. That's what kept him climbing that mountain. I think one of the most amazing statements that Jesus makes on the cross says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. See, I think Jesus was drawing on a reserve of just life experience at that point 
you know, that, that life that he, he had with God, just recalling, saying, you know, God, we, we've done life together. We always have. In fact, we've climbed this mountain together. You know, God, the only way I see end in all this, well, it's with you. I'm going to trust you. Even in death, I'm trusting you. Friends, how do you keep that we're together in this God mentality and attitude? I mean, how do you keep that so, so you don't lose your head? Well, I would argue you have to do the things that's, that are filling your spiritual tank in life. You know, there are things you can do on, on a daily basis. You know, when the alarm goes off in the morning, you have a choice to make. And what I have learned in the morning, when my day is about to start, I need time with God. I need to just be able to talk to God, to share with God what, what's on my heart. I always have a, a time that's just, I call it open time, where I just listen, just listen. You know, wait for the Holy Spirit maybe to prompt a, a thought. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts that thought. And sometimes he doesn't. But those times, they deposit fuel. They deposit good in the heart. You see, you start filling your tank the first part of the day. You know, sometimes I do it when I hit the hot tub in the morning. Sometimes it's not till I sit down at my desk in the morning. But it's something I do. 10, 15 minutes. Okay, not three hours. You know, nothing fancy. I don't, you know, chant or levitate or anything spectacular. Just me and God. And, and as strange as that may sound, when you take time with God, you can feel the spiritual tanks getting filled. And when I don't take time with God and make time for that, that very simple discipline, I feel the loss of that. Most of you have breakfast every morning. Have a cup of coffee. Some of you have four or five or pots of coffee in the morning. But I would argue you understand the importance of physical nourishment. But there are many of us that have learned just as important is spiritual nourishment in our lives. You know, to, to have that discipline of starting your day with God, it will fill your tank just a bit, just a bit. For many years, I know some of you have consistently practiced reading your Bible. Again, just a few verses, uh, studying it, reflecting on it. It will fill your tank. And there's something I've noticed sometimes it fills it just a little bit. Sometimes I almost don't notice it. But other times it will fill, and it is dramatic. It is dramatic. Some of you used to do that. Some of you have never done that. And I, and I want to challenge you to take up the practice of just reading a few verses every day. It is life-giving. It fills the spiritual tank. You know, some of us have practiced journaling, you know, just writing thoughts to God, spending 
10 minutes just writing out the activities that you see of God moving in, in this world, things you're thankful for, writing about things that you're, you're worried about or you have anxiety about, things you've been praying about, how God's answered those or the things that you're waiting for God to answer. Again, it fills the spiritual tank. It's just a very simple thing to do. Some of you are filling the tanks right now. You know, you come to church regularly. Some of you not so regularly. But when we worship, when we fellowship, when we study God's word like we're doing right this moment, it fills the tank a little bit. You know, when you're in a small group, and you're studying God's word, again, it fills the tank so that when you are climbing the hill, when you're climbing that mountain, when you're really facing something that's way beyond just going to Toys R Us kind of thing, but when you're climbing those mountains, you have a reserve and a tank to draw from. You know, I have always tried to keep an eye on the level of my tank. Those close to me know that there are certain seasons in the calendar where I spend more time alone than I do out because I need more time to fill the tank. Because when the tank is low or when it's medium, you've got to increase the disciplines that fill the tank. You know, probably one of the most important things that I believe I can teach someone about walking with God is to live each and every day, each and every moment doing little things, the little things we just talked about, keeping the tank full. You know, Galatians, Paul, Paul writes this, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, live each moment totally dialed into this world. You know, you, you should understand what's going on. And at the same time, you need to be dialed into God. You need to be open to God's leading, whatever it is God wants to share with you in those moments. You know, those times when you just say, God, am I doing okay? Or, kind of like me in Toys R Us, God, I'm about to lose it, help me. I want to rip Elmo's head off. What do you think I should do? Here's what I know. I am absolutely positive of this. That if every person in this place kept the tanks full, kept the spiritual tanks full, started the day, just spent a few, few minutes with God. If at some point during the day we just opened our Bible and read a few verses and studied it, let it reflect, to think about it, let it fill our hearts, if we just spent a little time reflecting, maybe a few moments journaling, if we just lived every moment open to the Holy Spirit, just prompting us, giving us guidance, a lot of you would keep your head more than you do. A lot of you would receive more fuel from God than you currently do. A lot of you would make it up that mountain. Friends, when you develop an awareness that God is with you every moment of every day, I think there's something you realize, these two things. God is always with you, 
Everybody else may fail you, but God is always with you, and God is always for you. That's a game changer. Christ followers, cultivate a discipline. Cultivate all those disciplines. Listen to God through the day. And I, and I want to say something out of love and concern. Some of you expect the church, Faith Fellowship, to keep your tanks full. You come to church. Maybe you're here every single week and you don't miss. And that's great and that's important, okay? But if you are here, yes, we're helping add to your tank. But if you think that is enough, if you think that you will be able to face the mountains when they come your way, and they will come your way, by the way, you are sadly mistaken. It is not wise, and it is not biblical. The church was never designed to do it all for you. There are some paths in our lives, some paths in our spiritual growth and development that are your responsibility. And friends, when, when you do your part, God will flow his love into your life and his truth into your life and his power and strength. He, he'll, he'll give you patience. He'll put it into your life. I mean, it's a biblical concept, you know, that we are to integrate patterns in our life that we are to integrate God with those patterns and with those rhythms and with those practices so that part of our day, if we give it to God, God will be loving us and guiding us and strengthening us and filling us up, keeping those tanks full so that when life's ordinary... like the day in Toys R Us. God will help you through it. And when life gets really complicated and serious, God's with you. You know, when you're facing little hills or mountains, you will be able to keep your head in the game in all situations. Do you know God will never give you a hill or mountain that you can't climb? Just a fact. If you do what you need to do to keep the tanks full. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. God, I pray that I know there are people, the mountain they're on right now, it's pretty serious. God, I also know that all of us, there's a day coming. that it can be all uphill. God, I pray that um, we wouldn't wait till we're on that mountain. We would, each and every day, just slice out a few moments through the day. Keep those tanks full. God, I pray that just as Jesus laid everything down for us. That we would just slice out a few moments here and there. 
then we'd lay our lives down before you. God, that's the only way to stay strong. The only way that there's hope. God, I pray that you would guide our steps, that uh, we'd commit ourselves as a church, as individuals, to do whatever we need to do to keep those tanks full. God, I thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.